Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This is the fifth and final sermon on the subject of give no place to the devil. We have chosen as our chief text for this study and for this instruction, Ephesians 4.27. Can you say it with me? Neither give place to the devil. Amen. And as our second text, we've chosen 1 Peter 5.8, which says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. As a roaring lion is in the middle there. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5, 8. We have looked at the great antagonism and conflict in the universe between the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan. In the first couple of messages, we looked at how the Lord Jesus Christ has defeated him. He's been cast out of heaven, confined to the earth, limited in certain aspects of his power, and yet he can make war against the saints of the Most High God and tempt us, seduce us, trick us into sin, and he wants to do so. He knows his time is limited, so he's very angry. The Bible says all of this. And he wants to take the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ off of loving him, off of serving him, off of obeying him, so that the kingdom of Christ appears in shambles. That the kingdom of darkness is winning. And so the word of God comes to us and says, give no place to the devil. It says to be sober, because there is a great conflict going on. It says to be vigilant, that we're to be looking and watching in our lives because we have such an adversary looking for us to make a slip, to give him place so that he can take us down. Last Sunday night, in the fourth sermon, we looked at Ephesians chapter 6, which lists the whole armor of God that we're to take and put on in order to stand against the wiles of the devil. I want to just very quickly run over those points again. They begin in verse 14, where we have... Our loins girt about with truth. And we saw from the word of God how important truth is. And I just want to remind you of that. That absolute truth is necessary because the devil was a liar from the beginning. He works with lies. And if we are grounded on the word of God and know the truth and hold the truth and love the truth and esteem the truth... That's a piece of armor right there. Because everything he's got to sell is a lie. He is not going to come to you with the truth because the truth is Jesus won. Amen. He doesn't come with that message. He'll come with another Jesus who isn't a winner. Do you know what that does to the Lord of glory? When a church is worshiping a Jesus that isn't the winner, that isn't the king, that isn't on his throne, that hasn't defeated Satan that didn't pay the price for all of our sins by himself, it's a great detraction from the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan wins. I'll show you that in just a minute. Truth. I read over there in 2 John. John wrote an epistle to a beloved sister of his, a lady. He loved her very much with her children. 
and all he can talk about is truth. And he, and he warns her, though. If any man comes bringing not this doctrine, do not let him into your house, and neither bid him Godspeed. Amen. Now that is how we're to handle the truth. We don't even want to put up, the Apostle Paul would say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 5, when some con- converted Pharisees came up from Jerusalem to the Galatians, he said, we weren't in subjection to them, no, not for an hour, right. that the truth of the gospel might stand with you. Amen. The truth, we're to be intolerant of lies, because where does a lie come from? Satan. No matter how sweet sounding, no matter how nice the person mouthing it to you, where does a lie come from? Satan. Satan. He's the father of all of them. We've got to go on. Amen. Righteousness. We are to take on the breastplate of righteousness. Let me give you an example of righteousness. Daniel, Daniel, in the Bible, had the breastplate of righteousness on so that when Satan raised up enemies in the kingdom of the the Medo-Persians and they wanted to find fault with Daniel, what could they find? Nothing. Nothing. Daniel 6.4 is a glorious text. It's one of my father's favorite verses about the character he prays for and desires for his children and his grandchildren. It's to have the character of Daniel because they looked and could find no fault in him. And they said the only way we're going to be able to get him is in matters pertaining to his God. That is having on the breastplate of righteousness because there was Satan trying to find a place. And Daniel gave no place to the devil. Because he had on the breastplate of righteousness. Now there is righteousness that the Lord has established for us. Satan can't get a place there because that's secure forever. And we should know that so that he can never get a place in our minds. But we should also have on the breastplate of our own practical righteousness so that he can't get a toehold in our lives that way. Oh, to be like Daniel with the breastplate of righteousness. Then we look at peace. We're to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Lord Jesus Christ has made peace with God for us. We don't have to fear the Lord. When the thunder rolls and the lightning bolts are dashing around your house, that is your loving Heavenly Father in peace. Right. In peace. It's, it's not in anger. It's in peace. Because peace has been secured for God's people. And when we reach the curtain of death, and it opens for us, and we pass through it, we should be able to pass through boldly. Because there's peace been made by the blood of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Do not let Satan tell you otherwise. Amen. And then to have that peace in our souls. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And where does Satan want to get your mind? Anywhere else. Anywhere else. But don't stay on him. But thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. In in Philippians chapter 4, it's called a peace that passes understanding. Now that's pretty perfect. Amen. We can't even imagine it. It's beyond our understanding. That's the peace that every child of God can have and should have. Yes. Job had it. Everything disappeared. Your life. Whoever in here thinks that right now they have some troubles in their life, it is nothing compared to Job. Amen. And yet was Job still in peace? Yep. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen and amen. amen. That's peace. 
we got to move on to faith. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Faith believes the promises of God so much that God is able to do what He has said that it's evidence. You've never seen heaven. You don't have a piece of it. Anybody got any home? In a box? Display case? Anything from heaven? Do you know that it's there? Are you absolutely sure that it's there? Do you have evidence that it's there? Yes. By faith. The devil's going to tell you that there may not be such a place. You have the shield of faith. If God said that he, if Jesus Christ said, I go to prepare a place for you, I want to tell you something that's more sure than gravity. He is preparing a place for you. Amen. It's more sure than gravity because gravity is going to go away. And we can violate gravity, can't we? Even little men can violate gravity and send our spaceships out into space and put them on the moon and go beyond that and violate the gravity of the earth. But I want to tell you, no one's ever violated the fact that Jesus Christ is in heaven preparing a place for you. That is the shield of faith. Somebody comes along and says, how do you know that evolution isn't true? Well, I've got the evidence. Whoa. Now that's bold. See, they don't like to mess with someone like that. I've got the evidence. How do you know? Because the Bible says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That's the shield of faith. Who's a good example for us? How about Abraham? Abraham, get up and leave your family and move to Canaan. So off he goes to Canaan. Didn't even know what Canaan was or what he was supposed to do there. He gets there and the Lord says, I'm going to make you, I have made thee a father of many nations. And he goes, I don't even have a son. And I'm going to have to give everything I've got to this Eliezer of Damascus. But he didn't talk that way for long. He believed. And he had a son by Sarah in his old age when neither of them could have biologically had a child whatsoever. And then that same God said, offer him for a sacrifice. And he rose up early in the morning and he did it because he had the shield of faith. He believed so. Here's his shield. Here's his shield. Satan saying, you know, if you kill that son of yours, you know, that's Sarah's son. You think she's going to have another one? He said, God's able to raise him from the dead if I kill him. That is faith. If you have that shield up there, you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And then it says to put on the helmet of salvation, which we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, is the helmet of the hope of salvation. It's great hope. We get to Paul's last writing, 2 Timothy He's in Rome. He's about to be offered. He tells Timothy that it's, I have fought a good fight. I'm at the end. You know what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12? That I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed Amen. unto him against that day. He had that helmet on. He was just waiting for the chopping block of Nero or whoever, whatever Caesar it was that finally chopped his head off. He wasn't afraid to die. And do you know what the first part of his life was like? I verily thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he told King Agrippa. He had more to undo than you'll ever have to undo. But you know what? You don't have to undo it, and nor did he. Do you know who undid it all? The Lord Jesus Christ, by the blood of his cross. And so he had the helmet of the hope of salvation on. He was not afraid to die a martyr's death. Because I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he's able. Because it was all in the ability of God. 
to save us from our sins. That is the helmet of salvation. And then we're to take the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and use it. That doesn't mean to wave it around. It doesn't mean to have sword drills with it. It means to learn it, to apply it. We have got to know the Word of God and be able to apply it to every question, every situation that arises in our lives. It is not enough to memorize it. It's not enough to read it. Don't rush through the Word of God in order to be able to check off some boxes on a chart. It's learning to take the Word of God and to meditate upon it and realize where that fits in your life and then to put it to use when that situation arises in your life. And remember the example I went to was Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, where Paul said, You ought to be teachers, but you have need that I go over the first principles again. Every one of us should be able to teach our children and teach others the Word of God so that when we see a situation, we can say, well, the Bible addresses that. That's easy. The Bible already spoken on that. No problem for me. That's the Word of God. Because Jesus knew how to do that. Satan came to him three times, and three times Jesus said, it is written. And when your wife wants to do something, you should be able to say, it is written. And when your husband wants to do something and it's wrong, a wife should be able to say, it is written. We should be able to tell our children, it is written. When we make a decision about something as a father, we should be able to say, it is written. And then maybe we'll show them where it's written. This is the word of God. That's how how we repel the devil. And whenever we have a... Now let's get really personal. When we have a temptation for something in our own soul, and the Lord gives us enough light to know that it's a temptation to sin, we should know where it is written to be able to say to ourselves and the devil, it is written, that is wrong, and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ because he has said to do it this way. So shut up, self. I'm going by the word of God. That is the sword of the Spirit. Jesus used it just that way in fighting with the devil after his baptism. And then I tried to point out to you verses 18 and 19 last Sunday evening. It says to praying always with all prayer and supplication. I don't care if you get on those five pieces of defensive armor and you're covered from your boots to your helmet, and I don't care if you've got the sword of the Spirit in your hand and you know the Word of God better than anyone you've ever met. It's not enough. Because the activity you better be engaged in is prayer. You know, we love to think about those pieces of armor, and I love to call this my 66 Magnum, but whenever I do that, I hope that you know that there's a different spirit saying that. There There isn't arrogant confidence in my knowledge of this 66-booked Bible. I love the Word of God, and it is the only offensive weapon we're given to use. And it has the answers for every dilemma, question, doubt, and problem of life. However, if you're not praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, it's to no avail. I cannot emphasize to you... I could... I could just put this outline aside right now and start in Genesis and preach to you about prayer because I don't believe that we can accomplish anything without the Lord doing it for us and with us. We cannot do it in our own strength. You cannot be the mother that you should be in your own strength. You can't be the father you should be. I don't care how much you read it. It's the Lord that's going to do it through you and with you. 
and he can make the crooked places straight and the rough places smooth, and he can lower the mountains and raise the valleys. Let every mountain be, let every valley be exalted and every hill lowered. He can do all that for you. The great men of the Word of God, Daniel, say, how did Daniel not have a single fault? Well, let me tell you one thing about his personal habits. How many times a day did he pray? Three times every single day at appointed times he prayed. You say, well, that's all he had. He didn't. He wasn't very busy. What was his position? Second to the second or third from the king. He was very busy, but he always took time to pray. The great men, the great women, the holy men, the holy women of the Word of God were praying people. Because it is through prayer that the power of God comes into men's lives. We can take these things and we can love truth and peace and faith and, and have all that and be shouting about it and be shouting happy about it. But if we're not in the Holy Spirit of God and getting His strength, it will come to nothing. Right. There'll be more on prayer in the future. And it won't be a long ways off either. I just want you to see right here in the context, when it's telling us how to stand, it says what we're supposed to be doing to stand. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto, that is in prayer and supplication, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Do you see the emphasis in that verse? Couldn't he have just said, and don't forget to pray? I mean, after all, we're getting all this armor on. Couldn't he just say, and don't forget to pray? But no, look at the emphasis of that. And I've got to go on, but I want you to see it, and I don't want to leave it hastily. For To be great saints, to have a great church, this is what we've got to do. The 18th verse. If all of us were praying with all perseverance in the Holy Ghost for each other, wow! And I ask you right now, no hands. How many of you prayed for the other members in this assembly? What if we were to all do that Amen. regularly, fervently, with supplication and prayer for all the other saints? That is how we stand in the evil day. Right. That's why we're in a body like this. And then for the ministry that utterance can be given to your minister, it's in verse 19, so that you can be taught, and he can open his mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. And this isn't much of a mystery, but sometimes it seems so. When the Lord looks down, I wonder how, much, how many prayers went up from us this week. This is how we live victorious Christian lives. Right. Now, we want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't just want to sing about him. We just don't want to praise Him. We just don't want to love Him from our hearts. We want to obey Him. Right. He said, if you love me, He just didn't say sing about me or pray about me or talk about me. He said, keep my commandments. And so if we truly love Him, we're going to want to keep His commandments. And His, com his commandment is to give no place to the devil. And He's told us in certain places how we can do that in our lives. Resist the devil, 
and he will flee from you is what James 4, 7 and 1 Peter 5, 9 tells us. Remember what I showed you from Luke chapter 8? There's four types of ground that the preaching of the word of God lands on. And we're told in the 18th verse, Take heed therefore how ye hear. So whatever you hear from the word, I'm giving you the ways to give no place to the devil. Listen attentively and take home what you hear and let's put it into practice. Let's, let's is a contraction for let us. That includes me. Let us take home what we hear here and put it into practice. Take heed therefore how ye hear. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For those of you that have a tendency to faster anger than others, does the devil know that? Yes. Yes. He's watched you do it a hundred times. A thousand times. So, you need to give no place to the devil by being always on your guard not to get angry. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And as much as lieth in you varies from man to man as to how peaceably they can get along with others. But, just as an example, anger. If you know you've got a problem with getting angry, then you need to be on your guard at all times to give no place to the devil that way. If you know that it happens a lot in traffic, then when you get in the car and you know you've got to cross Greenville without any direct routes because the city wasn't planned well, then be prepared. I know what I'm talking about. The Bible tells you, slow to anger. So that means slow down. Those of you that are quick, slow down. Let's take up another subject here, 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 1, Paul says, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Paul was afraid of the Corinthians. They were weak, they were carnal, they were engaged in too much activity and not enough spirituality. They were not humbling themselves before the word of God and being obedient to it. If you go read that first epistle, look at all the problems they had. Doctrinal problems, practical problems, Lord's Supper problems, discipline problems, envy problems, strife problems, preacher problems. Division problems, they had it. Denying the resurrection of the dead. Now the point of 2 Corinthians 11 is, Satan is after the churches of Jesus Christ, and Paul was afraid that if someone came along preaching a different Jesus, they might receive a different Jesus, or a different spirit, or a different gospel. And the warning here is, just like the serpent beguiled Eve through subtlety, there will be doctrinal things that will doctrinal heresies that will come up that will seem so subtle. They will be subtle. Right. They won't seem subtle. They will be subtle. And if we are not grounded in the Word of God, we could be led astray easily. 
This is Satan we're talking about. So, what is our protection about not giving place to the devil in such a matter? We better love sound doctrine when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Spirit and His Gospel. And we cannot modify it. All modification comes from the devil. Man has not come up with a better slant on the gospel of Jesus Christ by modifying it. The way the Lord gave it to us is exactly the way we want to preach it, no matter if an angel from heaven comes and tries to preach a little better variety of it. We want to stick to exactly what God said. And you know we've taught this for many, many years. But I'm telling you why it's so important. Because... The serpent will beguile us by his subtlety, as he did Eve, if we don't love sound doctrine, and if you're not established in it. If you have questions or doubts, you are open for Satan. That's giving place to him. Get your questions and doubts resolved. He starts with a question. If you've got questions, you are giving place already. Get your questions answered with the Word of God. It's not that hard. Right. Yea, hath God said, are you sure that's the way it is, Eve? And along it comes, and pretty soon we've subscribed to some new doctrine. I want you to notice right here that this is to a church, and there's a warning that the serpent can beguile a church just as he did Eve, and another Jesus can replace the Jesus Christ of heaven. And when he does, that church is no longer worshiping the Jesus Christ of heaven, and Satan can sit in that assembly and rejoice that he's taken a church away from the proper worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice later in this same passage, come down to verse 13. Here's the kind of ministers that Satan sends. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Now, what is our defense? It is the sword of the Spirit, praying always that we will not miss what the Word of God has to say to us. Because when Satan sends his emissaries, they certainly look good. They sound good. They appear good. They appear as ministers of righteousness and angels of light. He doesn't come in with a forked tail, a pitchfork, and a red bodysuit on, saying, I'm the devil. He comes in as a minister of righteousness, an angel of light. So what is our protection? It is the word of God and never to move off it. Right. Never. Praying always that the Lord will show us exactly how we're to understand his word. Now, I said enough. That I'm, I'm leaving this. 2 Corinthians 11. I hope you see it. It's a sober warning for us to be doctrinally sound. But let's move. The flesh. The Bible tells us to mortify and to kill our flesh. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. I took you to Proverbs where it says, when you, have a, when you find a wicked man or a wicked woman, a strange woman, You are to avoid her, to turn away from her, go from her presence, flee. Remember who was writing those words. It was David writing them to Solomon in the first ten chapters of the book of Proverbs. And it's the same thing we find in the New Testament. Flee youthful lusts. 
Kill them, cut them off. Jesus would say, if your right eye offends you, if there is something that you've been watching or looking at, then get it out of your life. Be as serious about it as plucking your eye out. If you've been doing something, if you have a habit with your right hand in your house, at at your workplace, a hobby of yours that you ought not to have, cut your right hand off. Get rid of that thing. There is nothing so special that it needs to be protected when the Lord is asking for you to get rid of it, to please Him. Or if it's giving place to the devil, we are to get rid of it. Brethren, and get rid of any spirit that you can stand against the devil. If you think that you are spiritual and you can stand against the devil, you've already given place. Can you think of the man who thought he could stand for 24 hours? Peter boasted of it after the Lord had told him, Satan has desired to have you. And Jesus had to respond to his boasting by saying, Peter, the cock's not even going to get to crow before this 24-hour period's over with, and you will have denied me three times. And did it happen just that way? Yes, it did. The Bible says, Therefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. That's why we're to be in prayer praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit for all saints and watching thereunto, because we've got to have the Lord's help. Amen. Don't think that you are, have arrived at any level of spiritual competence to withstand Satan. I would say that David must have been there, but look at how fast he went down when the Lord left him. Incredibly fast, which shows us just how vulnerable and weak we are, but the Bible says we can stand. Right. But it says that we're praying when we're standing, if you can follow that. How do you give place to covetousness? Covetousness is a horrible evil in the Bible. Wanting something that someone else has. Being discontent. How do you do that? By looking. By thinking. By shopping. By mulling. By meditating things instead of meditating what the Lord's given you. And by meditating on the Lord. Can't you be content with the Lord? Amen. So there are, and see, I don't know your personal habits, but what do you look at? What catalogs do you look at? What about your neighbors? What advertisements do you see that bother you, that make you feel inferior, that make you feel deprived, that make you feel unhappy? Whatever those things are, stop looking at them. I wish I had that. Why? Why aren't you content with what you have? Covetousness. and It's, it's, the, it's the religion of America. Amen. You're not going to hear that word. When was the last time you read the newspaper and saw the word covetousness or covet? I mean, seri- <laughs> There's a lot of words in the newspaper. Don't you think they'd get it once in a while? You will not read about covetousness because it's the whole foundation for our society. Let's get richer and richer by making everyone covet more and more. So that they'll buy what we're making, which they don't need. What pet thoughts or fancies do you have that you entertain in your heart that you think you've got a good slant on things? Is it child training? Is it traditions that you've been exposed to in your religious life? Is it your family? Nothing ought to be esteemed so highly that we come into the Word of God with even a little bit of our minds already made up. 
We need to come into the Word of God with our minds open to be taught by the Lord, no matter if He steps on our toes, and we have to admit our shame and change our conduct before the whole world. Amen. Don't hold on to anything, dear, in your hearts. Accept the Word of God and exactly what it declares to us. I hope that no one in here gives place to the devil with Ouija boards, horoscopes, zodiac signs, fortune tellers, or anything like that. There's only one spirit behind all of that. And if, you were, if we were living in the Old Testament, you wouldn't have to worry about it. They'd all be dead. Amen. What about self-righteousness? Does that give the devil a place in your life? Do you know what? Self-righteousness is the worst of all sins. Worse than any sin that you can think of. Do you know why? Because it precludes confession and forgiveness. Self-righteousness is something that you will never confess because in your self-righteousness, you don't need to confess it. It's very hard to convert a person who's given a place to the devil in self-righteousness. So, we need to humble ourselves before the Word of God and realize that we're all sinners and capable of anything. Yes. Lord. Listen, brethren, if he, if he just covers the grace of his, the sunshine of His grace just a little bit in your heart, you would do anything. Yes. And believe that. I do. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. I just want to point out how practical giving place to the devil can be. What kind of a wife and mother are you? Sorry, women, that it happens to mention women, but that's the word of God, so I'm not very sorry. But look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, I'm not going to give you the full explanation of this passage because it's dealing with widows and widows indeed. But I just want you to hear the words of warning that how a woman conducts herself in her home can give place to the devil. Verse 11, I'm going to start reading. But the younger widows refuse. This is 1 Timothy 5.11. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. There isn't any sin in marriage, but there was for these women because they had given a vow to the church they weren't going to remarry. Just, let's just keep going on. They had made a commitment to Christ they were going to serve Christ for the rest of their lives. They were widows. They weren't going to need to marry again. But Paul said, listen, that's just asking too much from a woman that's young because it's going to be too hard for her to maintain that. So don't let younger women into the number, but we've got to go on. Verse 12, having damnation because they have cut off their first faith. That's what I was just describing. And withal, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. This is how practical it gets. How good of a wife and mother are you? Because if you're not a good wife and a good mother, you're giving place to the devil. Amen. And you can turn aside after Satan, and you can give occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. We ought to have in our assembly marriages and homes and wives that everyone who looks at them says, that church is unusual. That church is great in the way that their wives conduct themselves. Look at the kind of mothers they are. Look at the wives they are. Look at the way they keep their homes. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And if you don't, you're giving place to the devil. 
He will love to get in and subvert a home and subvert a woman. He's always after the women because they're weaker. He got them the first time and he stays after them. Look at 1 Corinthians 11. I want to show you how practical angels and demons are in our lives. Now, I mentioned something from 1 Corinthians 7. Can a, can a couple give place to the devil in their marriages by not having a great physical relationship? Yeah, right. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Plain. Very plain. And you know what? In that sin, you're giving place for two people. Because two shall be one. And in that relationship in marriage, if you don't have a great physical relationship with your wife, you're giving place for two people. I said to you when I brought that verse to your attention, you, and I hope you already knew that it was there, but we looked at it. I said, if you think that you can go home and close the blinds and shut the door and send the kids out to play, that you're alone, you are not alone. That's right. You are not alone. Now let me show you just how much you're not alone. 1 Corinthians 11, I, I don't have time to cover this whole passage either, on the covering for a woman, but the covering for a woman is her long hair. It's verse 15. But notice what it says in verse 10, why a woman ought to have long hair. It says in verse 9, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause, because of that order in creation and the purpose in creation, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Wow! You mean there's angels that are examining how long a woman's hair is? Yes, you got it. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10. Angels are looking at how a woman conducts herself relative to her husband. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. A wife's role in a marriage should always be presenting the fact that I was created for that man. Whenever she doesn't, the angels are witnessing it because angels understand authority better than anyone you have ever met. Did you know that the angels do not bring railing accusation against President Clinton two years ago in the scandal of his office? I can prove that from the word of God that the angels that are greater in power and might do not bring railing accusation against him. Because of his position of authority. They understand authority because they are called principalities and powers. And they understand obedience and authority and agreement in a kingdom. And when they witness in a marriage, look at this. This, this isn't me. I didn't write that verse. But angels witness when a woman is outside her proper role and purpose in her marriage, and that's giving place. What I'm trying to do right now is give you, I want to show you how practical it is in our homes where you think no one else sees. Wow. Remember, they're spirits. Is this wall right here a hindrance? No. It's a hindrance to me. It's a hindrance to you. That wall right there. Can they pass through that wall? Amen. They're spirits. They pass through your house all the time. And they are able to witness how a woman treats her husband. In the bed, in her conversation, in the way she fixes meals, cleans the house, and takes care of her husband, whether she is living like she was created for the man 
and not the other way around. Amen. The point I want to make is, if the angels are there, the devil is there. All right. If the devil is there and he can witness that, he has got a toehold in a marriage. He can disrupt the marriage so that, remember, remember, what happens when a marriage is disrupted? Your prayers are hindered. 1 Peter 3, 7. Once your prayers get hindered, then things start to fall apart. Do you, he goes after the women. He did it with Eve. And we're told in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, we are not ignorant of his devices. No, brethren. Let's be saved from giving place to the devil with a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. What's that like? That's like Ephesus that had everything going for it, but they had lost their first love. That is giving place to the devil. That's like the church at Laodicea that was lukewarm about their religion. We need to come in here on Sundays prepared and ready to worship God, and we need to go out of here on Sunday nights prepared, ready to worship God for the rest of the week. Amen. That's giving no place to the devil. How about your friends? Be not deceived. Deceived. What being likes the word deceived? Satan. Satan. Because his whole work is deception. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You give the devil a place in your friends... He will corrupt your good manners. And what good manners would Paul worry about? Holiness and true doctrine. And if you get that corrupted by friend, if you have a friend that isn't a good influence for you toward more holiness, toward truth, be not deceived. You're going to get corrupted. You have a friendship that you shouldn't have. You say, but I like them. Cut off your right hand. But what if they're fun to play with? What if my friend is fun to play with? Pluck out your right eye. For those that are serious, that love the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm saying to you words of peace and comfort and blessing. If you're wanting to protect your life and save it, then I'm saying things hard to understand and hard to receive. But do you know what Jesus said? He that tries to save his life will lose it. And he that will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Amen. Let's take that a step further. And I wrote a sister in the congregation this verse in the last 48 hours. Peter once said, you know, Peter said a lot, didn't he? Peter said, Lord, we've forsaken all to follow you. Jesus said, Peter, no man has forsaken houses or lands or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or wife for my sake that has not received a hundredfold more of houses and lands and brothers and sisters and mother and father and wife and children for my sake in this world and eternal life in the world to come. You can never give up a friend that the Lord won't replace it with more friends, better friends, if you'll do it for him. Isn't that verse, isn't that promise glorious? No man has forsaken anything for me that I will not give him more in this life and in the world to come I'll give him eternal life. I'm, I'm just throwing out how we give place to the devil. Do you have an influence through a friend in your life that is corrupting your good manners? I've said this already this morning, but I want to say it for the benefit of the tape, and I want to say it for the benefit of you because you need to hear it again. A great test 
to know whether you have given place to the devil or not is your level of love and affection and desire to praise the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you find yourself dulled and you would rather study prophecy or you would rather study doctrine, and by doctrine I mean you find yourself more interested in the number of arguments you can raise for the sonship of Jesus Christ rather than the pleasure you get from prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are treading on thin ice. And I will tell you, based on my knowledge of the Word of God and my knowledge of my own experience with, the, with Jesus Christ, you have given place to the devil. And if you will come to the end of each day asking yourself, if, if you'll take the time, you, it's all part of the process. Right. If you'll take the time to pray, to read, and to sing, you'll find out how dulled your senses are toward Jesus Christ. And if they're dull, you should be examining yourself to find out where you gave place. I love the King James Bible. But listen, I can take a man, I could take Judas Iscariot and get him excited about the Bible version issue. Because it's so much fun. Who killed Goliath in your Bible? And I'm not... I love the King James Bible. And I want to defend it. And I want to read it and I want to believe it. But that belongs in its place. Preeminent above that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Because a carnal man can get excited about the King James Bible issue because it can puff him up in knowledge because he can make anybody else look like an idiot. But do you know what a carnal man doesn't get excited about? The person of the Lord Jesus Christ and living a holy life for him. They do not get excited about that. Remember how Satan works? He'll bring along another Jesus. We want to stay on the true Jesus. And we want to keep loving that true Jesus with a spirit that wants to exalt the true Jesus. Not a spirit that just gets excited about more miracles. Like at Corinth. Big difference. Do you love to walk with Christ, talk of Christ, pray to Christ, sing of Christ? It's a great measure of whether you've given place or not. Jesus Christ gave us a prayer to his disciples, and he said, as part of that prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Are those words that you just memorized as a child and you blow right through them? Or are those words that you've adopted into your praying? They are not just religious words for the Bob Jones Creed and the prayer that follows it to be memorized and stated in chapel at Bob Jones University. Lead us not into temptation because the Lord can lead you into temptation and you're asking him not to do it. He led Abraham to be tempted by offering his son Isaac. The Spirit of God led Jesus Christ out into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting to be tempted by the devil. Lead us not into temptation. You don't want to give place to the devil? Then ask the Lord to be merciful to you and not to lead you into temptation. Jesus taught us to pray that way. Amen. Right. Who do you think he was worried about? Who, who were you praying to? Our Father which art in heaven, lead us not into temptation. Sometimes he'll do that to try us. Do you know what we want to ask him? Don't do it. Have mercy on me when you do it. And deliver us from evil if it happens. Right. That's the prayer of a saint who's been taught on how to pray. 
Do you know what Peter should have said when Jesus, when Jesus said, Satan hath desired to have you and sift you? Peter should have said, lead us not into temptation. Instead, he said, I can handle anything you can throw at me. That doesn't work. Where does murder come from? Hatred, envy, a hard heart. Murder comes from somebody offends you and you don't go take care of it. Either by overlooking it or going to them and getting it corrected. That's where murder comes from. Somebody offends you and you don't take care of it properly. Then envy sets in and you resent that person. Anything good happens to them, you're jealous and resentful of it. Anything evil happens toward them, you enjoy seeing it happen. Envy sets in. Then envy builds into hatred. And you have a hatred for them, and pretty soon you'd cut their throat and let them bleed warm blood over you. That's what the Word of God teaches. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You've heard by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're already in danger of that commandment. That's giving place to the devil. You say, I'd never commit murder. What did you say, Peter? All you have to do is start by being offended and not taking care of it the scriptural way and harboring some little grudge in your heart and it will build into very quickly and easily what God already considers murder. Where does adultery come from? Doesn't fornication, adultery, uncleanness, and lasciviousness that are mentioned numerous times in the New Testament, don't they all come from giving place to the devil with pictures, lustful looks, songs, movies, Jokes, fantasies, and opportunities that you give yourself that you shouldn't? Those things just don't happen. A saint isn't sitting there reading their Bible and then jumps up, runs out the front door, and rapes someone. It doesn't happen that way. It would if God turned us over to Satan. And you ought to thank him that he doesn't. It would happen just like that. It happens by giving place through looks, jokes, songs, movies, whatever, is allowed into your life that stokes the first little lust for a sexual relationship that isn't God's for you. And it leads all the way to the great consequences of adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. They don't just happen. They result from giving place to the devil. There's a Bible sin called variance. Where does variance come from? It comes to entertaining differences in your heart from what the pastor in the church believes on a subject. Emulations is in the Bible. Emulations. Emulations are ungodly competition and the desire to equal or exceed another person. Where Where do emulations come from? From competitiveness. I want to make more than they do. I want to look better than they do. I want to do this. I want to do that. Comparing yourself to someone else shouldn't be our goal at all. We should just want to maximize what the Lord's given us for his honor and glory. Emulations. It's an excludable offense of the New Testament. It just doesn't happen. It happens by someone being too competitive and and covetous and proud in their lives. They want to outdo or equal others. Where does sedition come from? The attempt to overthrow authority, discussing differences about authority. Yes. Starts with just little innocent discussions 
about the person in authority, I don't care whether it's a father or a pastor or a boss, shouldn't take place. That's where it starts, and it, re- and it results in sedition. Heresies always start with a bright idea, unproven from Scripture. A bright idea that you're so excited about because you've got light on some subject. But it doesn't agree with what the church believes, and it doesn't agree with what the pastor's taught. So you ought to go take care of it real fast. Maybe that light bulb ought to be smashed. Maybe the Lord's given you something that the church ought to be converted on, but if you hold it in your heart, it leads to heresy. What if you do give place? What if you give place to the devil? You feel your love of Christ waning? You feel yourself cold and dull? What is the remedy? And when should the remedy be sought? Immediately. Immediately. Right then. Instantly examine yourself, find out what it was, confess it, forsake it, and repent of it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And immediately there's no place left to the devil because verse 7 says, And the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. You're washed again and you're clean and pure and you can keep right on going. But do you think the devil wants you to confess that fast? I'm going to tell you my temptation in that matter. And I tell you this because maybe you understand it. And maybe it will help you to know that I hate it, so you should hate it with me. If I sin, and I know it, and I'm considering the fact that I've just sinned, and I can feel my heart cold toward the Lord, and I've identified it, I say to myself, I don't say to myself, He says to me, the devil says to me, you need to work on that a while and show the Lord how sincere you are before he's going to forgive you. So if you can spend a couple of days and not do that one again, then when you offer up your, when you ask for forgiveness and you make your confession, the Lord will know you're sincere. That's being an unbeliever. And it's also looking to get my works into the matter. Oh, I hate that. I hate that. It's trying to get me into the matter. Do you know what? how we get forgiveness? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for us. Yeah. And the only ones that get forgiveness fall at the bottom of that cross and say, I'm broken, I'm undone, I'm wrong, I'm wicked, and I'm foolish. Wash me and I'll be clean. Amen. But to say... I'm going to give it a couple of days to show that I can do this, and I'm going to give that to the Lord. Uh-uh. Right. And it, the minute, the minute, and I've been through this so many times, the minute I make that choice, do you think I'm, for, I'm thinking about confession and forgiveness five minutes later? Nope. No. Because I have put down the remedy. I have put down the remedy, and I've given him a bigger toehold in my life. And the two days later never comes. And pretty soon you find yourself very cold. And your conscience seared. Then you're not nearly as sensitive. Brethren, when you sin and you've given place, the devil confess it. Forsake it. He is faithful and just. He is faithful. He'll forgive you. It's his promise. Remind him. If you've got to open your Bible and lay it there before him, that is not unscriptural because Hezekiah once laid a letter before the Lord. If you've got to lay it there and say, Lord, this is what you've said and I'm trusting it right now 
And whether I feel forgiven or not, I'm going to believe it by faith because the devil does not want you to feel forgiven because he's hoping if you don't feel forgiven, then you won't believe you're forgiven and you'll continue in sin. You believe it by faith. He, where does it say he's going to give you feelings? He says, believe me. Brethren, be sober. The war is serious. True Christians cannot relax and enjoy life as their goal. If you're sober and you seek the Lord first, he'll give you an enjoyable life. True Christians cannot relax and enjoy life. This is a life or death matter. Therefore, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, stay focused on this conflict, be sensitive and be critical about your lives. It's better to be safe than to be sorry. Be vigilant. And I use that in the expression that you would apply it to a guard. It's better safe than sorry. If you hear a little noise and part of you says, Oh, don't worry about that little noise. That was nothing. But if you heard a little noise, go check out the little noise as a guard. If there's a little thing in your life, go check it out and examine yourself to make sure you haven't given place to the devil. Resist him, he will flee. There's easier victims for him, and he doesn't like those that remind him of his defeat. Jesus Christ is king. The Lord has laid help upon one that is mighty. Amen. And he will deliver us. He has delivered us, and he will yet deliver us. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Stand with me, please.